the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday edition for the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and I am filling in for my pastor on this radio show. Today, Wednesday edition, is the last day that I'll be on. Pastor Ron will be flying back. Both he and Paula are at the CCA conference, and they will be back here in town tonight, Uh I have a prayer request here that I want to share with you, but uh, they'll be back here in town tonight. But tomorrow, uh, what I've been telling you all week is that they will be here for the date day edition. What we're going to do instead is tomorrow, we're going to have a rebroadcast of the date day edition, uh, give them time to acclimate back after traveling. And then what we're going to do here on the radio show on Friday is have a date day Friday edition. So the date day will be live on Friday with Pastor Ron and Paula. Uh, that, that will be the Friday show. It will be live for date day. So we're pushing our date day to Friday. Tomorrow will be a rebroadcast. Okay, so it's Wednesday here at Calvary Chapel. Let me give you a quick programming note or church schedule. Uh, tonight it is our Old Testament study night here at Calvary Chapel. That means 7 o'clock. We'll have Pastor Alfredo filling in for Pastor Ron. He will be teaching out of the book of Joel. So if that's something you normally come to on Wednesday nights, we're having it just like we always do. 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel, Old Testament study. Let me give you the phone numbers, and then I've got two prayer requests for you. So I'll give you the phone numbers, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. We've got an email address. If you want to submit questions that way, it's questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. You can use a church app if you want to submit questions that way. It's the Calvary Chapel of San Antonio church app. There's an option there to submit a question. We also have the KSLR app if you want to listen to it, uh, to the show there. You can e- You can also easily call in directly to the radio studio by hitting the call now button up at the top of the KSLR app. Okay, I told you I have two quick prayer requests. So uh, Pastor Ron and Paula are on the way back. They're actually at the airport now. We've got a, just got news of a slight uh, flight delay. So you can keep them in prayer because Pastor Ron has been saying how much he wants to avoid any delays. We want them back safely. But there's news of a short delay. Should be fine, but please keep them in prayer as they're expected to come home tonight. Uh, The second prayer request is for our senior trip group. So every year, 
the senior trip here at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy goes out to East Texas, where they spend their time together there in the wilderness. <laughs> Not really wilderness, but it's what Pastor Ron would call wilderness. It's out on a ranch that seniors get to go together as a group and just seek the Lord and spend some time together. And so that begins tomorrow. It's, it's like a five or six hour drive from here. So the seniors leave tomorrow. We would really appreciate if you could, if you remember to keep them in prayer, that they would have a great time hearing from the Lord. Okay. Oh, I've got a quick note that today is the Marine, U.S. Marine's birthday. Well, happy birthday if you're Marine 246. Like Sam always says when he does our announcements, you don't look a day over 245. <laughs> Thank you if you have served in the Marines. And also, it's Veterans Day coming up tomorrow. So if you have served in the military, God bless you and thank you for your service. All right, let's jump right into the, the questions. We've got the first one from Anne. Anne actually has two questions. Uh, the first one, will those in hell have regret of their decisions or will they stay in rebellion to God? Second question is this, will we keep our personalities when we get to heaven? And these are great questions. And these are, I like these questions because they provoke uh, our thought, our thinking. And yes, the answer to your questions, the Bible does address them. And so the first one, if those in hell will regret their decisions, they definitely will. They definitely will. You know, when the Bible talks about every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it speaks to both the believer and the unbeliever. Now, for the unbeliever, when that happens, they will do that to their own judgment. So they will know and they will regret that the Jesus they have rejected all their life is, in fact, the only way for man to be forgiven of their sin. Now, there's a specific passage here that addresses your question. Because when you ask if those in hell will have regret, well, we look to the story that Jesus shares with us in Luke chapter 16. And this really is the only place where we can get uh, any picture of what it'll be like in terms of their regret. Because remember the story there of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, though it's not hell, because the lake of fire is not open until Revelation chapter 19, this place of torment that's described in Luke chapter 16 is a place where those who die apart from Jesus, die not believing in Jesus, will stay until the lake of fire is opened up for the devil, uh, for the Antichrist and for the false prophet and for all those demons who rebelled against God and for those who, uh, those people who died apart from Jesus, rebelling against him, the lake of fire is opened there later on in Revelation. But in Luke 16, what we see is sort of this, this place uh, of torment that is a, a, a place, a holding place where there is no escape. And even if it isn't the lake of fire itself, it is a place of torment. There's suffering. And in that place, remember, the rich man was regretting his decision so much to the point to where he said, Father Abraham, if you let me go back and just tell my, my brother and my father, because he understood that his decision was the wrong decision. And so that, yes, the answer to your question, Anne, is that there will, they will have regret because they will know for a fact that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was. Now, the second part of your question, or the second question here, is an interesting one. Uh, uh, you asked, will we keep our personalities in heaven? And I love this because it jogs our thinking. You know, the Bible doesn't explicitly give us an answer to this, but we do have insight into uh, 
what it will be like in the resurrection. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the actual resurrection of our physical bodies. But what I like to think about is the Mount of Transfiguration. And in Mark chapter 9, what we see standing next to Jesus is Moses and Elijah. Now, how would Peter, who was there, Peter the Apostle, how would he have known that it was Moses and Elijah? It's not like they were wearing name tags, and it's not like they were... They probably didn't have signs over them that said who they were, but Peter knew. And I believe it's because of their personalities, and even if Peter wouldn't have a picture of them, he knew who they were. And so we will keep sort of the uniqueness of our personalities that we have here on earth. But the big difference is in our glorified bodies, as demonstrated in Mark chapter 9 at the Mount of Transfiguration. We won't have the flesh anymore. And that means this, and we'll have our personalities, at least some traits of our personalities, but we won't have our sinful nature. And thank you, Jesus, for that. We will be unique because we're not going to all be robots. We're not going to be, you know, in bodies that, that have feathered wings and playing harps on clouds like some people imagine heaven to be. Instead, we're going to be who God has made us uniquely to be, but without these bodies of death, without these bodies that that crave after sin, because sin will be dealt with once and for all, and we will use our glorified bodies to worship Jesus in heaven, to be with him for eternity. Not as robots, but as unique with our personalities. And so, Anne, thank you for your question. I hope that helps. But this gives me something to think about. I I love the idea of being made unique in Christ, but still made for the single purpose, each one of us, to, to worship him in heaven. Thank you for your question. Uh, Let's go on to the next one. This is from our email inbox. This is an anonymous one. It says, as a born-again believer in Christ, I am keenly aware that I am consistently asking, praying to be filled with, embrace, and experience God's supernatural agape love working in my life. Interestingly, just realized I've realized, sorry, interestingly, just recently I've realized that I do not ask, pray for, or wish to be disciplined by God. I find I'm afraid of it. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says to paraphrase, he who loves his son disciplines him. Does a believer's walk with Jesus include being disciplined? And is there a reason we should want it and or be praying for it? Thank you. Okay, Anonymous, great question. And, well, I love your honesty and your transparency. And the truth is, none of us like discipline. If you like discipline, it's it's sort of weird. But the Bible does tell us that that discipline is a good and essential part of our walk with Jesus. So let me go back to your question. When you said you quoted Proverbs 13. Now, I don't know what translation or what paraphrase you said you read from, but he who loves his son disciplines him. This is essentially what Proverbs 13, 24 says. And the NIV says this, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. So this is the uh, most often quoted uh, Bible verse when it comes to uh, disciplining your children. We here believe that dealing with your children and spanking your children even is biblical as long as you don't do it in anger. Why? Because 
this form of discipline is how you demonstrate your true love for them. Now, I love, Anonymous, how you say you're constantly seeking after, I think you said, God's supernatural agape love working in your life. And if you do that, then what you will do is not look forward to, but you will be open to discipline. Because Hebrews chapter 12 is sort of that definitive New Testament passage that describes why God disciplines those whom he loves. You reference Proverbs 13 because this is what we do as parents for our children. And the New Testament counterpart to that is the first section of the first half, really, of Hebrews 12. And he says that our our fathers disciplined us in verse 10 for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. So this is where we learn that God's heart towards his children is always good. It's always good. And since we know God's character, we know his nature, we don't question his his motive behind disciplining us because here the passage clearly lays it out that his motive is for our good. But that doesn't mean it feels good, but it means it's necessary. Why? Not only is it for our own good, but it helps us to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace when we're trained up in it or trained by it. And practically anonymous, this, it means this, that you should be open to discipline when the Lord disciplines you. You don't necessarily pray for it. You know, it's like praying for trials. You don't necessarily, you don't want to pray for them. They will come. <laughs> they will come. But when you're disciplined, think of it this way, as a believer who loves Jesus with all of their heart, you love Jesus with all of your heart, you're open to course correction. You welcome course correction. Why? Because your motive is to please the Lord. And if you, if you do something that gets you off track in walking with Jesus, well, Jesus will convict your heart and provide that course correction to get you back on track. If you fight against that course correction, that means your heart is not receptive to discipline and and your heart will harden and you'll stay in that place of sin. But if your heart is right with the Lord, when that correction comes and the conviction comes, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that uh, the training of discipline keeps us close to Jesus. And so that's why you should welcome discipline because it keeps you close to Jesus in a place where you're producing fruit. Anonymous, I thank you for your question. I hope that makes sense. Next question is from Stay Anonymous. (laughs) Okay. The name Stay Anonymous says, I'm a Christian and single. I have been desiring to get married and have a family one day. Good. This has been a very strong desire for some time now. I can't seem to find anyone in person, so I have been considering doing online dating. What dating website for Christians would you prefer? I'm assuming, stay anonymous, that you haven't heard what Pastor Ron says about this, but I would say the exact same thing. We don't have any websites that we would recommend for online dating. Since you're a Christian, you love Jesus with all of your heart, here's the website I would recommend. Bible.com In the Word of God, seeking His will, this is where Jesus will reveal to you who your spouse, your future spouse, is going to be. 
instead of going to websites and to all these uh, offerings that the world provides, even with a Christian label on it, what we would suggest, what I would tell you is this. Serve at church, read your Bible, and stay close to Jesus. And in the process of doing these things, God's going to open your eyes. And figuratively, I want you to think of it this way, stay anonymous. You are walking with Jesus. You're on a path that he sets before you. And while you're walking with him, if you choose to deviate from that path and go to a website or some other place where you sort of force your hand and you look for the person instead of letting the person come to you, you go to them. What's going to happen is as you deviate from that path that Jesus has set before you, uh, you're going to be inundated with all kinds of things that, that, that aren't God's will. The way you discern God's will is by just walking with him, trusting that God will put in front of you the one he has prepared for you. And in this time, stay anonymous, while you're still looking for and desiring for your spouse, be in prayer for them. Whoever they are, Jesus knows who they are. And Jesus is the one that put this desire in your heart. When you're walking with him, he's the one that that puts that desire there. So it, it, it is of God for you to have that desire to find someone. And when you do find someone... Instead of going outside and looking for them, walking with Jesus is going to give Jesus the opportunity to put that person right in front of you. And here's the best part, stay anonymous. You won't have any question, any doubt whatsoever if this person is of the Lord or if this person is from the Lord because you can watch them from a distance at church. You can see their heart as they serve the Lord and how they treat people, how they respond to challenges, how they deal with difficulty. And while you're doing the same thing in your life, uh, you get to observe sort of from a distance and even up close how they respond. And I'll tell you this, you'll know it's the Lord because they, whoever it is, they will love Jesus more than they love you. They will love Jesus more than they love you. And this is more important than I could emphasize. Whenever single Christians have a desire, again, it's from the Lord, because he puts that desire in your heart, we're so quick to act upon the first opportunity and assume that it's from the Lord because this is what we've been praying for. And, you know, the, the opportunity is presented itself, but we stop asking Jesus if this is the right one. We don't observe and watch the fruit coming from their life. But that's exactly what we need to do. I understand, and I hear this a lot because people will tell me in counseling, well, Pastor Ken, you're married. You don't understand what it's like. And it doesn't matter what I understand or what I don't understand. I, Jesus does. And I know, too, there was a time when I was single before May and I got married. We understand the challenges and the desires, but putting Jesus first is what gave God the opportunity for May and I to have our hearts knit together. You know, quick story about this, because we're coming up here on a break. We've got less than three minutes. But when I got saved... The Lord did something radical in my life. Not only did he forgive me of my sin, but he told me to cut everything off completely, including the one whom I love. That was my girlfriend at the time, May. And it was a hard thing for me to say no to her, to cut her off, but I had to. And I told her, I just gave my life to Jesus Christ, and all I know is that I'm supposed to let you go. That was a difficult thing to do. But because of that, I I was able to give everything up and and 
Jesus had space, if you will, because I was out of the way. He had space to work in May's heart. And during that time that we were apart, God grabbed a hold of her heart. We didn't, you know, I didn't try to manipulate it. And I didn't say, well, you know, that I'm saved. I'm a better guy. We can get back together. Jesus said he wanted to be alone with me. And then I didn't know that Jesus wanted to be alone with her. And I didn't know this. A few months later, we spoke again out of the blue and found out that she was a believer. And we didn't assume that it meant get back together. We started all over. We got to know each other again from the beginning. This time our conversation wasn't about the pain of the past. It was about what Jesus is doing today. We talked about the Bible. We shared over the phone what we learned at church. And this is what I want for you, Stay Anonymous. Instead of going out there and trying to find somebody, by walking with Jesus, you give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to put this person in front of you. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the Wednesday edition. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and if you're just tuning in, I say this at least every day that I'm here because I know many of you just tune in in the second half. You're driving home from work or you're in your car and you get to listen to the second half of the show on your way home. Uh, Let me remind you that uh, Pastor Ron is out of town. Both he and Paula uh, were attending the CCA conference And so as an update to that, Pastor Ron and Paula are already on their way back, should be back home here tonight. And so if you want to keep them in prayer, that would be much appreciated. Just got word that there is a slight delay in their their flight, their connecting flight. So uh, still planning on having them back here in town, uh, maybe at a slightly later arrival, but please keep them in your prayers that everything will go smoothly. I'm sure they greatly appreciate that. Um, so as a programming note, tomorrow, the date the edition will be a rebroadcast. They will not be live here tomorrow during the date day. Instead, we'll do a rebroadcast tomorrow and then Friday. We will have a special live date day Friday edition. Pastor Ron and Paula will be here on the radio live on Friday to do the date day edition. So tomorrow, if you are listening, uh, you won't be able to call in with your questions, but you can save them for Friday. Last prayer request here. I said at the beginning at the top of the hour, I'll say it again. Keep our seniors in prayer because our senior trip is tomorrow morning. All right, let's go back to the questions. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. Email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions at calvarysa.com. The next question is from Jessica. I have a good friend from work who that believes in Jesus, and I know she loves Jesus with all of her heart. She recently told me that she's allowing her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend to live with her. She often speaks very highly of them and how much they help her in her home until their house is finished highly of them and how much they help her in her home until their house is finished being built and how they are planning to get married late next year. I asked her if they are Christians and she said, yes, I know the Bible says sex outside of marriage is sin. 
and I believe God wants me to talk with her because she is possibly encouraging something that isn't right. What's a good approach in speaking with my friend about this? Jessica, this is a great question. Thank you for caring so much about your friend, and your discernment is right. Your discernment is right. Uh, What I would suggest to you is to sit down with your friend and open up your Bible and, and, and tell them that you don't want to give the enemy any opportunity for especially these young kids that are going to get married to start their marriage off in sin. So you don't have to give them solutions, Jessica. You don't have to say, well, you know, do this and and maybe you can live here or stay there. What you need to do is just tell them that this isn't right. And so sit down with them, open up your Bible, show them 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we this is God's will for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And encourage her, the mom, that uh, your your responsibility and your privilege, really, is to teach them how to start off right with the Lord. If you defile each other now, it just taints what's going to happen in, in the marriage. And so encourage her, Jessica, the mom to have these new believers, if they really are believers, open up their Bibles and see what the Lord says. It's not the mom's opinion. It's what the Bible says. Now, if they're not believers, then this is the time to make sure that they are and give them an opportunity to give their hearts to the Lord. But Jessica, your your discernment is right. You should sit down with your friend and open your Bible and, and talk to them. And if if it helps your friend, the mom, that you feel led to do so, maybe you give yourself an opportunity to, to sit with the, the young man and the young woman and explain yourself. But, but let the mom do it first because it should come from her. So, Jessica, thank you for your question. Let's go right to our phone lines. I think we have a caller. We have a caller on line one. Cindy from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Hi, Cindy. Um, You know, I was reading in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 this morning, and I came across uh, verse 9 and verse 10. Now, verse 10 is the one I'm curious about. It says, because when Melchizedek met Abraham... Levi was still in the body of his ancestor, and I was just kind of curious how all that worked out. It, you know, it's talking about the giving and um, and Melchizedek and stuff like that. So, and it's just a light footnote. Remember, yesterday we were talking about grasshoppers and locusts. <laughs> well, the Lord has a really good sense of humor. When I went out to the atrium to water a bunch of herbs I have growing, there was the biggest, greenest grasshopper I've ever seen in my life. It took me about two seconds to get back in the door, but I'm sure I'm sure the Lord was just laughing at that. <laughs> I'm going to get off the radio, the phone and listen to your answer on my question. Bye. <laughs> yeah, Cindy, I, I remember that call. It's probably a call I won't forget. And uh, yeah, grasshoppers. And too bad you didn't have any chocolate nearby. <laughs> So to your question, you asked about Hebrews chapter 7. So I'm going to read just to set the context of what we're talking about here and then answer your question. So you're right. This is about uh, Melchizedek. And in verse 7, it says, And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In, in the one case, the tenth is collected by the men, by men who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. And here's what you ask. Verse 9, One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. What this, all this means is that uh, Abraham, by paying that the tithe, to Melchizedek was symbolic of Levi doing it. 
and and that because Levi is still in the body of his ancestor, he obviously wasn't there, and so that's all, all it means is that symbolically, like Levi was doing it through Abraham. Um, this this rendering in the NIV is actually not that accurate. Uh, it's more like saying uh, this is another way of saying it, or one might even say. Uh, sort of speak is the phrase here, sort of a euphemism, like it's like saying or sort of speak that Levi was doing it through Abraham. So I hope that makes sense. It's just symbolic of the tithe being paid to Melchizedek through Abraham. And I love this picture too because Melchizedek is the the picture, the the Christophany we have the pre-incarnate Jesus, the picture before the manger, before the incarnation of the Son of God, God the Son coming, and Abraham coming and paying his tithe to them is, is, is a picture of the reverence and the expectation that, that Abraham knew of the coming Messiah. And Levi, having not been there yet, was sort of still in the body of his ancestor. I hope that helps. I love that picture. You know, one of the things, and I think we had a question about this yesterday, uh, but the Old Testament gives us imagery and pictures of what was to be made known in the New Testament. And, and this is why studying the Word of God is so important because it isn't a separate book or a separate collection of books we have in the Old Testament. But what we have are the, the pictures, the, the word pictures that describe to us what was coming. And Jesus is, is the one being described here, but from beginning all the way from Genesis chapter 3 with the first prophecy of the Messiah that was coming, all the way to the very end, we see God painting this picture of redemption for man. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. So anyways, uh, thank you for your question, Cindy, and thank you for your call. Next question is from Eileen. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ken. My husband and I serve at our church, and I have been asked to serve alongside someone else's husband. I'm not sure if this is appropriate. I've talked to my husband, and he's okay with it because he trusts Jesus, trusts Jesus with me, and he trusts Jesus with the man I'm serving with. But there may also be times that we would be left alone because the ministry we serve in goes outside of the church building. And I'm not sure if this is okay. Can you please give any insight on this situation and if this is okay or not? Eileen, this is a great question, a very practical one. Because what I would always say is this. It's always better for husband and wife to serve together. Now, that's not going to be possible every single time. But when the opportunity presents itself, like, for example, in children's church, what we like to do is pair up husband and wife to teach the class together. And it gives the opportunity uh, not for them just to serve together and serve side by side and to help each other, but it also provides the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to to knit the husband and the wife's heart even closer together because there's something that happens when you serve together, uh, being fruitful for the Lord. Now, again, that's not going to always be possible, but that's the best case scenario because Jesus always produces fruit when a husband and wife serve together. Now, specific to your question here, uh, sounds like you have concerns, or at least it's raised some thoughts of you not being comfortable. And if that's the case, telling your husband is the right thing to do. You're not being legalistic. You're just saying, this is something I'm just not comfortable doing. Now, the Lord will reveal to you how to handle it. Sometimes it means that the husband will come alongside with you and serve together, or maybe not. 
But whatever the case may be, whatever you, the Lord has called you to do, you do it to the best of your ability. And and I would add this, too, because you mentioned it in your question. If there's any opportunity for you to be alone with somebody else, it's not a good idea. Even if you're serving with somebody that you know, bring somebody else along. Bring somebody else along. And so if your husband is not able to serve alongside of you, Eileen, uh, you're doing something that that involves you being with somebody else you're serving along with has nothing to do with you questioning them or doubting them but you don't want to give the enemy an opportunity so if you're more comfortable with bringing somebody along then just do that if it's not your husband then somebody else but but i think your discernment is okay but you always want to be sensitive to the holy spirit and and again if you're serving where god called you to be your husband's right he'll be with you but he can't be with you all the time. And so there will be times when you, you serve the Lord faithfully, but always protecting yourself and always protecting the work. So Eileen, thank you for the question. I, I hope that makes sense to you and I hope that helps. Okay, the next question is from somebody named Concerned Friend. Hello, I have a friend that says she is a believer in Jesus, but is a but is in a lesbian relationship with another woman. She said that God accepts us the way we are because Jesus died for our sins and God is love. So he will accept us no matter what. That just didn't make sense to me. Can you please explain what this means? Well, concerned friend, you're right in being concerned. Because your friend is completely wrong. And their thought process and their answer is completely unbiblical. This is a common, a common way of thinking for people who claim to be Christians but aren't. And they'll say things like, God is love or love is love. And, and think that God wants them to be happy. So therefore, they're able to love and express their love in any form or fashion that makes them feel good. That's not who God is. And God makes it very clear who he is, his character and his nature. And he gives us his word. So what they think and what they feel has no value if it contradicts the Word of God. And so when you ask me to explain what this means, that when they say that God is love and he will accept us no matter what, that's completely wrong. Now, there is a part of this that is true. And the part is this. Anybody, no matter where they're at, no matter what they've done, Anybody can come to Jesus. Doesn't matter how much they've sinned. Jesus is willing and eager to forgive them of their sin. So Jesus will accept us as we are, but he loves us way too much to let us stay that way. And this concerned friend is called sanctification. There is justification the moment a person gives their life to Jesus Christ. But that doesn't happen just by praying a prayer or just by answering an altar call. And, and here what your friend describes sounds like they have this misunderstanding that they have a relationship with Jesus and can continue living their life however way they please. And that's not true because a, a, a heart that is redeemed a heart that is changed by the Holy Spirit can't help but having a changed life. And that's called the sanctification process. So you have your justification that happens at the moment of belief, but the process of sanctification begins at that moment of justification. It continues every day for the rest of your life. And, and practically, that means you're just not going to stay the way that you are. Jesus will receive you as you are, but he won't let you stay that way. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, that until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the idea here is the sanctification process that is ongoing. That means every single day God's going to deal with sin in our lives. He's going to deal with things that aren't right, things that he doesn't approve of, things that don't rightly represent him. Because it doesn't happen overnight. Every single day he'll mold us and shape us. And if we truly have been born again, God's not going to let us stay the way that we were. So when your friend here says that God accepts us the way they are, they're correct. But you need to tell them that God's not going to let you stay that way. Thank you for your question. Okay, let's go to Jake. Jake's next question is this. In Ezekiel 40, can you please explain which temple Ezekiel sees being built? Is it the temple that was built then, or is it the temple that will be built during the end time events? Ooh, I love this question, Jake. Okay, so Ezekiel 40 is in the future. That's your answer. So a little bit more detail. In this passage, and really in a, a majority of Ezekiel's prophecy, is concerning the millennial period or the millennial reign. And this is the literal thousand-year reign where Jesus is ruling with an iron scepter. He's reigning in power over the earth. And, and during this time, the temple will be rebuilt or ha will be built already. There will be sort of memorial type of rituals that take place during that time, because Jesus has already made himself known. And some would ask, well, what's the purpose of having a temple? If everything points to the future Messiah and during the millennial reign, Jesus is ruling and reigning, why do they need a temple? Well, it'll be memorial. It'll only be symbolic. Because Jesus is ruling and reigning, when the temple is rebuilt and in operation during the millennial reign, uh, this is what Ezekiel 40 is all about. And this is Jesus giving Ezekiel sort of a glimpse into the future. The specificity, the details, and, and everything that's taking place is going to uh, be a memorial to Jesus who is already ruling and reigning. So the answer to your question, Jake, is yes, it, it's going to be in the future, in the future. We are just under five minutes, just under four minutes, actually, so I don't have time to take your phone calls. I won't give you the numbers anymore, but we do have uh, a, a few more questions here, so then we'll get right to them. Uh, from our email inbox, another anonymous question. Uh, anonymous says, if a church member is committed to that church, is it wrong for that member to have outside ministries? Should churches have memberships? I am curious to know why churches have membership. I was not sure if this is biblical. Okay, Anonymous, well, I'll, I'll answer the second question first, which is about membership. You know, church membership is one of those things where the Bible doesn't give us a mandate. It doesn't give us anything, any indication that membership needs to be a part of the church. This really is a decision for each individual church today. So even if it isn't uh, something described in the Word of God and Acts, there is no indication of anybody creating a membership, uh, churches are free to do so if they, they feel led by the Lord to do that today. Again, it's, there's no biblical mandate for it, um, and there's nothing to say that it's inherently wrong, but here at Calvary Chapel, I can only speak for our church. Calvary Chapel of San Antonio does not do memberships. We have sort of an inside joke here at the church when when you show up the second time, 
I, I greet people and we all do the same thing. We go to people and we say, hey, you came back. That's awesome. That means, you know, that you're officially in. And we do that with a big smile, joking, because we don't do membership. So if you're back for a second time, that means you're part of the family. And, and we think that's how it should be. We want it to be uh, informal. We don't want people to fill out cards. We don't, we don't want people to feel like we're intruding on their personal information, but we want them to feel loved and we want them to feel welcomed. So for us here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we won't do membership. Now, some churches will do this. They'll do membership for you know strategic reasons or for planning reasons. Some churches even do it to help plan their their budget because they can count heads and, and, and sort of estimate what their budget is going to be based on the number of memberships that they have. And, and that's, that's just something that isn't biblical at all. Uh, we believe here at Calvary Chapel, we trust the Lord and he'll bring the people that he wants here. And our job is to welcome those that are here and make them feel loved and welcome. So if you have a church home, you should be committed to serving there, not outside of the church. Commit to your church home. That's the primary place where God wants you to be. Well, we are inside of about a minute, a little bit over a minute, but tonight it's Wednesday night, so that means here at Calvary Chapel, it's our Old Testament Bible study with Pastor Alfredo in the book of Joel. Tomorrow, a reminder again, it is the date day edition, but it will be a rebroadcast tomorrow, so don't call in with your questions if you have them. Call Friday, because Friday will be a live date day edition with Pastor Ron and Paula. You can hear the music. That means we are at the end of the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. Happy birthday to the Marines. Enjoy your Veterans Day tomorrow. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.